Hello and welcome to Just One Cornetto, a Greenock Morton podcast. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at The Morton Forum. All of our panellists appear in a personal capacity and as such, any views expressed are personal to them. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. This is an important message from the Tale of the Bank Credit Union. Remember that we are here for you. We share this message often because it's important. Don't get hooked in by loan sharks. Avoid the pitfall of debt solutions. Stop, take a breath and consider your option. Tale of the Bank Credit Union are Inverclyde's credit union. We are non-profit making and put our members first. Call us for a confidential chat before falling into the trap of high rate lenders or debt solutions that aren't right for you. Contact us via creditunioninverclyde.com by phone on 01475-734-655 or via our social media feeds and see how Inverclyde Credit Union can support you to save, borrow and plan for tomorrow. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Just One Kilometre podcast. Dunfermline kept all three points in Fife on Saturday, a 3-1 win which is overshadowed by a few injuries with the Morton team. Craig Whiten put the side ahead in the eighth minute, doubled the lead through Lewis McCann. Robbie Crawford dragged the ton back into it at the 82nd minute. Michael O'Halloran sucker punch right at the end, securing all three points for the Pars. So, joining me to analyse the game and to talk through the, the MCT AGM, we have Craig Dunning. How are we? I'm good, thanks, Dean. Yourself? Oh, not bad. So, we're actually just talking about this before the record. Is this the first time this season that we've named the same team two weeks in a row? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if we did that in the League Cup at any point, but I certainly in the league with uh, sort of injuries week to week and... New signings coming in since the season started. Yep, uh, that'll be the first time in the league. I uh, wasn't surprised to see it after we've obviously put in a very credible performance and got a good result at Tannadice. Personally, um, yes, I'm sure we'll get onto this, but personally I would be starting Darrell Connor at centre-back. But uh, yes, we'll we'll get to that. And yeah, I wasn't surprised to see it remain the same. Uh, from Basically from Power and Blues forward, there's not really, there's not really any change to make. No. No, I think there's spot on there. Um, so, do you want to talk us through the first goal? Oh, I mean, there's there's not really all that much to, <laughs> to say about that. Um, yeah, it's just so basic. Again, it's the it's going to be a recurring theme here. It's the kind of goal we wouldn't have conceded last season. Um, it's just such a simple, simple ball in that, I mean, you, you primarily obviously look at Alan Power. He's the one who's marking Whiten. He's on his heels. He just lets Whiten across him far too easily. That bit's far too easy in and of itself. That's the main issue. But the area the ball goes into as well, I don't know. Can you be asking questions of McDonald not coming off his line? Can you be saying, should a man we've got on the front post actually stepping out and dealing with that because it's coming that close to the goal? There's there's a whole lot wrong there. Yeah, I'm not. I think given how crowded, I, I'm not sure about McDonald coming out, but I certainly think, I can't remember who was in the front post, but aye, you look, there's not... There's not a great deal of pace. It is a decent delivery, but there's not a great deal on it to the point where you could say, oh, well, the guy on the front post will not get the time to, to get out and react to it. I think it's, as a defensive unit for all you, like you said, Powers, Powers let Powers let him across him. But, aye, you're looking at it's just such a soft goal, um, which, aye, well, obviously, speaking of, do you want to talk us through the second one? Right. <laughs> um Right, first of all, uh, I think you've got to look at McGratton as the move starts. He's not been nearly quick enough to get wide and put pressure on O2. Uh, yep. He's as well not being there with the amount of pressure he puts on him. And yep. aye, that lets O2 just line up the pass far too easily. However, that haven't happened. I'm not sure French even knows his man's there until the pass is gone in between him and Broadfoot. 
that's that's really poor positioning to the French as well. Um, and yeah, at, at the point that pass has gone, I don't think you can look at, I think Baird Broadfoot and McDonald have all basically been sold down the river there. There's not really anything you can expect them to do to, to stop that goal at that point. Um, no. Aye, it's a, it's a real shocker from, from both McGratton and French, I think. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it's surprising given what kind of said last year, um, how defensively capable McGratton was in terms of his positioning was excellent, defensive work rate was fantastic. Um, it was really, really quite surprising to see such a lapse defensively from someone who, yeah, like I said, has, has been excellent defensively for us so far. Yeah, and I think uh, aye, it's important we don't uh, we don't make it out like this is a habit because it's absolutely not. I think he is defensively our best option as a winger. And yeah, look, we know uh, Katongo's an extremely hard-working player. Boyd's a hard-working player as well. I still think of, of all the options we have out there, McGrattan is absolutely positionally uh, the, the best of them defensively. But yeah, he needs to be doing better than that. Yeah, I think as well, French, like you said, French is just caught in no man's land. Um, yep. And there's absolutely there is there's there's so much time and space to to play that ball into the channel and as soon as the ball's in that channel, aye, there's there's not a great deal the centre backs of the goalkeeper can do. It's just yeah, I'm I'm not sure how much of that you put with French down to. He's obviously that's only a second game and I think it's only a second game this year actually. I can't remember exactly when when it mm-hmm. was he got he got injured last season, but I am fairly sure it was still in 2022. So aye, he doesn't have a lot of match sharpness, obviously. It's going to take him time to build that up if he's if he's not out for a lengthy spell again now. Um, so, aye, again, you're not going to hang him out to dry on the basis of that mistake, but no. yeah, it's, it is such a basic goal to concede. Uh, and it's especially given the length of time that he was out for. Um, you're right, it is just that lack of sharpness. Um, it's something that we've seen, obviously, with French. It's something we've seen with Power. It's something that we've seen with Wilson. It's... We do have a, a good few players who are still yet to get themselves up to, to full match speed. And I think it's aye, it's something that you'd like to think. Obviously, results and performances aren't where we need them to be at the moment. But you would still like to think that there's another gear to come out of a couple of those players. Aye. So, tell you what, um, Robbie Crawford pulls one back for us. First goal since he came back from his injury. What did you make of it? This is an excellent goal. It's very well worked. I think it was, was it Waters that clipped the ball into Muirhead uh, in the first yep. place? Uh, yeah, excellent ball. Muirhead holds up very well. And yeah, that's a thing that Muirhead does sometimes struggle with, that sort of back-to-goal uh, ball coming at him in the air. Uh, he's much better with the ball at his feet. But aye, he's done superbly well there. And yeah, aye, if you're a Dunfermline fan, you're questioning the defending just as we have with all, all three of their goals. But, uh, yeah. you know, and that Crawford's been given that amount of space, but Aye, it's it's an excellent finish. And I think it speaks well. It's sorry. I think it's obviously we've talked about it a couple of times this season. You look at how much Robbie Muirhead's improved at being able to pin centre back back, and you look at that goal, and it's another example of okay, he's not scored, but it's another goal involvement that Muirhead's been a part of. And you look at he is now capable, especially while we don't have Oakley, he is now capable of being that focal point of an attack because. Not only is he, he's obviously his pins. I think it was Comrie that he pins back. Um, the layoffs, the layoff into Crawford's pass, excellent, great ball in. Um, and it, it certainly, he's doing well to kind of drag us through and make sure that we're still scoring goals at the moment, even though we're, we're struggling to get results. Yeah. Aye. And aye, this is going to tie into sort of the wider tactical discussion we have after they've gone through the goals. But aye, I think it is important to acknowledge that. I just speaking of the fact we're still we're still scoring goals. Muirhead's got four goals in six games. That's 
even though there's been a couple of very frustrating games for him, that's absolutely excellent. A goal, sc- yeah. goal scoring record. And I just, this second half in general, um, I would seriously struggle to muster a shot on target. But I think it showed you uh, that generally going forward isn't where the problems are in this team because I, okay, we struggle to actually create proper clear cut chances with it as opposed to just it's dropping in the box and we're tobying it towards goal and seeing it blocked what felt like about 200 times in that second half but you know we are still getting into dangerous areas of the park we are working our way up there so aye the uh, the problems are quite clearly elsewhere so yeah talking about issues elsewhere do you want to, want to give us your verdict on the third right um, it's tempting to focus on power here because of the total lack of pace um and yeah, it does look extremely bad. <laughs> Just especially like the the camera angle that's necessary to to show a goal that sort of starts with a pass that far away for the goal. And aye, O'Halloran steams away from him, and by the time he scores, is about fifteen yards clear of him. But even when when he was a few years younger and still completely in his prime, Alan Power was never known for his pace, and uh, Michael O'Halloran was. So yeah. I don't think that's really the issue here. The issue is why when... And right, I totally understand. We're late in the game. We've pulled it back to 2-1. We're going gung-ho and bombing bodies forward. You're going to lose your defensive shape to an extent. That's completely understandable. But at the point that they've worked the ball up our right and have now got into our half, so fine, when... When I think it was O2 that had won possession from Crawford initially. Yep. Fair enough, you've got defenders out of shape at that point. When a pass goes into our half and Yakubiak's holding it in and looking for the pass with O'Halloran making that run, why is everybody else who's already back being sucked towards that ball? And yeah. the, the one I'm really looking at here is Broadfoot because he was the one who was furthest to the left. Why, when Yakubiak's got the ball on his feet, is Broadfoot moving towards that group of players when? <laughs> there's already three Morton players within five yards of the ball at that point. Why is Broadfoot moving towards it as well and leaving this gaping chasm for O'Halloran to run into? That's really poor. That's, uh, again, that's the type of thing that you're looking at an experienced player and thinking you're the one who should know better here. Aye, that's that's exactly it. You're looking for someone with the experience of Broadfoot to have a far better, to anticipate that situation far better because... You could be only got one real option there is to get it out to O'Halloran. It's aye, it, it is such a poor, poor goal. Um, and yeah, I get it. It's just like you say, we are going for the equaliser. We are going to commit bodies forward, kind of desperately. But there is enough time. There is enough time between the ball coming into our half and O'Halloran getting put through on goal for us to get some sort of for us to get back into shape far better than we do. And that's I think you you probably. You hit the nail on the head where you could actually look at all three goals. Um, they're not goals that we tended to concede last year. So we'll kind of go on. We'd obviously had a bit of a discussion in, in the WhatsApp group and we'll kind of talk about it in here. Is it a case of poor performance? Is it systemic? Or do you think it's a bit of both at the moment? Right, well, we have conceded 15 goals in six league games. Last season, we conceded 43 and 36. Um Individual poor performances can be explained, uh, you know, can be be blamed for, for that. Yeah, there's absolutely a systemic problem here. Uh, and I think we're at a bit of a crossroads moment now, um, in the same way we were uh, last season after after the thumping at Partick, where we had a bit of a reset and said, right, stop thinking, here's what our 
here's the best 11 we can put out, let's he, here's the game plan, let's stick to it and try not to deviate from it. Uh, so, aye, the, the steps to take is there. So, uh, this is harsh, I'm going to have to go in two-footed, but you've got a fundamental point here that Kurt Broadfoot is not a championship footballer anymore. He's just not good enough. And look, I know there's lots of individual players playing badly right now. Um, you, you, you can't pin every goal we're conceding, every error on Kurt Broadfoot. But he is the biggest problem in this starting eleven. So it's not just his own individual errors, which are also happening in every game. You look at the build-up to McCann's shot that hit the bar. That's Broadfoot cheaply losing possession in a dangerous area of the park in the first place. And every week there's something, there's been too many penalties given away. And by the way, having uh, five bookings in six games uh, for, again, your experienced player who's meant to be your leader is absolutely shocking discipline. But even if Cut Broadfoot was individually doing everything well, winning all his battles, uh, you know, not getting himself stupid bookings, etc., etc., he is the cause of a systemic problem. And that, and I actually do want to contrast this with when Emery first took over. So we we know four three three is Emery's favoured shape. It's what he what he prefers. But when he first came in, he played a three five two, and he explicitly said at that time. I'm playing this back three because I don't think the defence has the pace to play the way I want I want to with a back four. And that was because of Alan Lithgow. And I found it a bit weird at the time because, you know, if he really wanted to play that sort of high-pressing back four that required a pacey defence, he did have Ocean McEntee and Michael Ledger there who could have been a centre-back pairing. But anyway, I'm getting there. I'm going off at a tangent. Uh, clearly, he thought Alan Lithgow was was the centre-back he wanted to be the foundation of that defence. He couldn't play in a back four, so we play a back three. Fine. So you come to this season, and I get you're coming into this from you've got a team who are settled in this style of play with this high-pressing, high-intensity approach, and you've got a back four behind it. Fine. So uh, you're not going to want to overhaul that completely and switch to a back three again. Okay. But if you didn't want to play a back four with Alan Lithgow in it because of Alan Lithgow's lack of pace... Alan Lithgow was nowhere near as slow as Kurt Broadfoot is. Nowhere near it. Now, so much can be traced back to Broadfoot's lack of pace because if the defence holds a high line, we get done in behind because of the lack of pace in the, in the defence. You can look at, say, um, Ross County's second goal in that League Cup game as being part of an example of just the defence being done by a high ball over the top. You look at the increasing gap shown either between the defence and midfield or between the midfield and attack. And the origin is the defence having to sit a bit deeper. Now, I don't know if the defence are being told to sit a bit deeper in order to protect Broadfoot's lack of pace, or if it's just a thing that's naturally happening over the course of a game uh, because the defence are feeling we need to sit back a bit. Again, because of Broadfoot's lack of pace. And okay, now we know O'Connor's injured. We don't know how bad it is. There was rumoured that it's possibly a dislocated knee. Let's hope not, because that'll probably be a couple of months at least. But I, I don't understand, like, these last couple of games, we've had O'Connor fit again. So why? Um, we know that the Baird and O'Connor centre-back partnership works. So why on earth would we deviate from that? Especially when we've had this horrendous defensive start for the season. We had the second-best defence in the division last season. It was Its foundation was that Baird and O'Connor partnership. We need to get back to it as soon as possible. And okay, now maybe we can't, but aye, that's that's the main problem here. It's it's that central defence. And sorry, but I know I know we're only six league games into the season, but 
I, I completely understood the logic behind the signing of Kurt Broadfoot. I get that he's maybe got a fantastic attitude off the park. He can be that leader. He can set an example to players. Aye, great, fine. No plans for any of that. And that completely made sense for him to be your sort of experienced third choice, replacing F.A. Ambrose, who maybe didn't have the same leadership qualities off the field that Broadfoot brings. But here we are. Um, the fact is, we've seen enough already this season to say he's not up to this level anymore, which happens with 39-year-olds, fine. But until we take him out of that defence, things are not going to improve. Everything you say there is is bang on, and it is, like you said, it, it's that knock-on effect that sitting five, ten yards deeper has. Because you then look, the gap between the, the defence and midfield is, is far bigger, but it's also then, it's the gap between our pressing unit at the front, then the midfield and then the defence, it's become very disjointed because if the mid, our line of engagement's as high as it was last year, our pressing line, our pressing triggers have stayed the same because they were very effective last year. But you then look, we played a high line that allowed our midfield to be really compact because you look at you look at what power brings. Now, if you put power into that shape and that system that we had last year, he has a direct upgrade on Gillespie. Yeah, He's got a better passing range. Mobility-wise, there's maybe not much between them, but you look composure on the ball, passing range, um, ability to set and dictate a tempo of a match. I think Power does all those things better than Gillespie. Now, Power's still struggling with sharpness, I don't doubt that. But again, in particular, Power's getting hung out to dry by the systemic issues in the side. We're not getting the best out of him because his lack of mobility is being exposed in a way that Gillespie's never was last year. We did a far better job as a pressing unit and as an entire team without the ball to protect the deficiencies within our squad. And at the moment, you look at how passive we've become and how easy we are to play against and pass through. That really is the root cause of it because that defensive line's dropped. We've got more midfielders that aren't up to speed yet. You look, obviously, I, I still don't think Pibble's fully fit. Wilson, when he's played in midfield again, you can tell it's worth remembering that the first month that Wilson came in last time, he really, really struggled. And then once he got himself fully matched sharp, you started to see what he brought to the side. And I think it's it's the same thing again. It really needs to get sorted because everything that we were good at last year has been has been really nullified with how much the defensive line dropping off impacted our midfield. Because what we've got is a a, a defence a, a back four who are inferior in terms of quality to last year's being tested more often because of the systemic issues in front of them. Yeah, and that's the the big problem we now have and the injuries to Ben O'Connor in that if you're going to have the sort of reset we had after after the Partick game at Spurhill last season where Emney's basically said, right, here's my strongest 11. I'm getting them together now. I'm persisting with them. We can't do that while Ben O'Connor are out. Um, and aye, maybe we've got the scope to, to add more signings. I don't know. Uh, but really, if either of them are going to be long-term, you'd imagine they were. I saw um, I saw that uh, Tony Doherty was saying that French's injury maybe isn't as bad as first as first feared. But again, if by as bad as first feared, what he's meaning there is, or he could have fractured the leg again, that doesn't mean he's going to be back in a matter of weeks. It'll be months before we see French again. O'Connor, is it a dislocated knee or not? That could be months. We can't get by with the defensive option. But if both of them are out, we just can't. Because, yeah, like I think your starting point with this defence needs to be, I think you have to accept that Kurt Broadfoot cannot play every week. Then, looking at the midfield, I mean, well, let's just look ahead to Saturday. <laughs> um, that back four, we're going to have to put it. So we're going to have Waters, Bear, Broadfoot, 
and you've a Blues on the ground at right back, and Bergson is also out in the mid. You put Blues at right back, then your midfield three has to be Howard Gillespie and Crawford. So you've got the exact problem we're talking about with power being exposed is going to be exacerbated with power and Gillespie beside each other, but you're still going to have Broadfoot behind them. That should, that given the opposition is still going to be there. And against the team who like to get the ball down and pass it like Airdrie, that's going to be a problem. Again, our style of pressing that we had last season, uh, that would be fantastic um, against against Airdrie. Uh, it's the sort of team who would just get rattled by it because they like to knock it about to look for a lot. This season, they're going to find the space to pass through us and pick us off. If you look at the if you look at their goal uh, against Wraith on Saturday, there, that's yeah, exactly what they, they That's a great goal. Yeah. Yeah, they, they played literally, well, I mean, it was from the start of the clip uh, in the highlights, it was 26 passes. I'm not sure if there were more uh, before the clip started, but aye, it's more than 20 passes just in their own half. And then they they see the gap and three passes go. Um, they, they will manage to do that if we are leaving the same gaps and exposing Gillespie and power. But then the alternative to putting Blues at, at right back is putting McGrattan at right back and that means you have to start Jack Byrne <laughs> and just was it's like watching a testimonial where sort of the, the player's Wayne gets brought on to play against actual professionals he's just so far out of his depth and uh, he's a guy I'm not saying that Jack Byrne is never going to be good never going to be good enough in the championship maybe he gets a loan spell to, to League One or League Two it toughens him up he comes back and he'll start looking like a player but right now he's clearly miles off it and we can't be putting him into the starting 11 either so we're basically in a place at the moment where we don't have an 11 we can put out to compete. I think the ma- the massive improvements would be, obviously, the, the defensive issues and the defensive injuries aren't going to clear up before Saturday. I think having one of Oakley or Katongo back would make a big difference in terms of those were your two outballs last year. When you look at how successful we were in transitions, you look at releasing Katongo up the right-hand side to give the back four a breather and let everyone squeeze up the park. Um Kutongo's probably the best in the league at that. You then look at Oakley for all of... We've praised Muirhead for being able to pin centre-backs in. If we've got Oakley back to do that job, to then allow Muirhead that bit of space between the, the defensive and the midfield, then you're going to see uh, you're going to see the goal return that we saw in the second half of last season out of him as well. So I think having one of them back would be a big, big boost. It would. It's not going to alleviate the issues that we've got defensively, but... When you look at how you could counteract Airdrie and give Airdrie something to think about in terms of we know how they like to play, we like to knock the ball about. If we can threaten them on the transition and make them sit that little bit deeper, then I think that's that's potentially how we look to win the game on Saturday. Yeah, and just on Katongo, um, that would, aye, as you say, that having him back would make such a difference to this team. And it, it would go a long way in, I think, resolving, like you're maybe still going to have the defensive issues, but it would go some way to resolving that that gap between areas of the park with the ground that he can cover and the way he can take the ball and move us up the park. But I do think the point needs to be made just about injuries. Like, aye, this is extremely unfortunate, having so many in such a short space of time at the start of the season. But it's also a fact of football. Like, we got very lucky with this last season. And, like, Jai Kifongo is known to be an injury-prone player. Ian Wilson is known to be an injury-prone player. These are these are the risks you take when you, when you sign up injury-prone players to what's already a small squad. So, aye, it's unfortunate, but it's a fact of football and it's one we've just got to deal with rather than 
making it a bad luck story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would you say Saturday's a must win? Absolutely. I think, yeah, again, back to the whole um, potential turning point of the season, comparison to part of last season. You look at our next four games, you've got Airdrie, who have started the season well, but I think when you're sitting second bottom of, bottom of the league with, with four defeats after six games, you probably need to think in terms of who's likely to be in the relegation battle and then uh, then start thinking about looking up, up the league if you dig yourself out of that hole. So Airdrie are a team you would ex- still expect to be down amongst amongst that relegation battle come the end of the season, despite how they've started. You see it with lots of teams having a wee bit of a promotion bounce in the first quarter, then their weaknesses on paper start to start to show up on the pitch. And I do expect that yeah. to happen with Airdrie. So I Airdrie at home, I think it's a must-win game just because of the form we're in. But yeah, it's the type of game you have to be looking to win anyway if you're going to stay in the division, never mind look towards the top four or anything else. Then the week after that, uh, we've got Queen's Park away. Then uh, our next two league games after that, Cali Thistle at home, Air away. So that's four games against teams who are all having varying degrees of struggle. You would, you would think Queen's Park are in terrible form themselves. I think that's four defeats in a row now. Cali Thistle are bottom of the league. Air have had their own struggles. They're the only they're the only team we've beaten so far. So we should really be looking at this four games as right. Here's four games coming up. You take. A minimum of eight points from that. That's your platform to turn the season round. I get the whole yes, take it a game at a time. I completely understand that. That's how that's how the squad need to look at it. But I, if we're not going to end up in a relegation battle, then yeah, seven or eight points minimum from from these four games are going to be necessary. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on, and that's the big. This is where you do look to Emery for that hard reset that we got after the the thumping up at Firhill last year. When you look at this is a manager who is capable of delivering that hard reset and that upturning results, albeit the circumstances weren't as grim in terms of injuries that injuries and, and kind of systemic issues that we've seen at the start of this year so far. But I would say that yeah, Saturday has to Saturday has to be a, a game that we look to take three points from. Um, I mean, I would say though, in comparison to where we were last season, obviously you didn't have the first team that sort of the, the players in the strongest 11 out injured that we have now but yeah. we did basically have that position from from that turnaround up to the end of December last season where you really only had 10 players that and they properly trusted and yeah. he, he got the results out of them because yeah he had basically the 10 that started pretty much every week for that run plus and Cabia and McGratton yeah and he rotated between Cabia and McGratton um, yeah. so aye he's done it with a constrained group of players before obviously again the difference being we had a very solid defensive foundation can we actually do that with the, with the personnel we've got I've got serious doubts but aye it's it's what we need um, and aye in the sense that we've got this run of fixtures coming up aye losing French and O'Connor couldn't have happened at a worse time but aye well, we're going to have to make something work with what we've got or if we can add anyone else I've got no idea if there's a budget there to do that or not but yeah we're we're going to need to get a settled working defence and get it now. Yeah, so tell you what, looking elsewhere in the division, Air ran out 5-2 winners against Queen's Park, are both Partick 3-0 at Firhill, Dundee United scored a late winner at me at Inverness, and Airdrie snuck past for that 1-0 win that we talked about earlier. Who do you think were the big winners from this weekend's fixtures? Uh, well, massive win for Air, obviously. Um, again, um, I think that possibly says more about Queen's Park than it says about Air, right enough. I think that's uh, you know, we 
spoke about Airtree being a team who like to pass it about at the back. I think Queen's Park are a team who do it to the point of dogma um, and a team that presses effectively will just destroy them. Um, and yeah, so uh, long may that continue if, if we are going to end up in a relegation battle. Um, in a sense, Cali Thistle are winners uh, because uh, they've finally got rid of Billy Dodds, but uh, they're also losers <laughs> because they've appointed Duncan Ferguson. Yes, that was that was the next point on the agenda. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, to be fair, I don't think we can understate the importance of a broth. That's now four wins in the bounce. Yeah, after, absolutely. Yeah. You know, they, they obviously lost their first three games of the season and there's another team you look at, a team that have almost got, undergone a hard reset. Um gone back to basics, they've started finding the net a little bit more often. And yeah, that that's a big, big result for them. But yeah, we talk about Inverness, Duncan Ferguson, um, three-year deal. Aye, how do you see that panning out? Right, okay, so there's the caveat here that look, there are lots of managers who are failures in their first job and actually go on to be good managers in the end. They, they learn from their mistakes, they look at what they got wrong and what they have to work on, they come back and they're much better managers for it. Uh, Duncan Ferguson, though, 18 games at Forest Green, one win, three draws, 14. That's really bad. Like, considerably worse than Gus McPherson, bad. Uh, there's very little sign of being a manager there. And I I, mean, I think I've not actually checked this one. I, I, I was trying to wrap my brains earlier thinking, has anyone started that badly and then ended up being a decent manager? I think maybe Paul Lambert at Livingston was similarly bad to that and then was decent in his next couple of jobs. But I generally a manager who does that badly does not turn out to be a manager. Uh, so, no. yes, I... Put it this way, if if we'd appointed Duncan Ferguson, I would be absolutely shitting myself. Um, and, uh-huh. and again, three year deal as three year deal as well. This from the same club who gave Richie Four in a four year deal that didn't have a relegation break clause in it, and then had to sack him eight months into a four year deal. Uh, yeah, I would not be surprised considering this is a club that employs Scott Gardner as chief executive. If they have in fact forgotten to put or just arrogantly assumed they won't need a relegation break clause in Duncan Ferguson's contract. So, yeah, good luck to them. <laughs> yes, it was um, a surprising appointment, obviously. I think Morton fans had kind of followed the story quite intently, given that, that Emery had been linked with them. But, aye, I don't think any of us were expecting that. So, yes, on to, obviously, it was the, the MCT AGM last night. So, four new members added to the, the MCT board, and that was... Sam Robinson standing down from the board. Um, he'll keep his place on the he'll keep his place on the club board, and Chris Sampson standing down from the MCT board and and kind of taking a step back. Wasn't really a great deal discussed. I think one of the one of the kind of points to note that that Russell had mentioned it was football wages accounting for seventy percent of club turnover. Um, an update on the land next to the next to the Norseman they're looking at like in a community hub type setup. So kind of looking forward to. To see their plans for that, and yeah, there wasn't really wasn't really a great deal other than that. What was your what was your kind of take on on all things MCT? Uh, yeah, um, I am happy enough with how things are going. Uh, yeah, there's some positive uh, positive murmurings there. I think yeah, one thing that is interesting to me is that uh, sort of fan area, that space beside the Norseman. Um, yeah, talking about potential options for that because uh, th- that is like the sort of thing that 
Look, we know the financial position Morton are in. Uh, we we know we've got one of the smallest budgets in this division, but th- that's the sort of like innovation that the MCT need to work towards. Something that's actually going to be a foundation to bring income into the club in the future. Um, aye, so I'm very interested to see how that goes because aye, it's that sort of infrastructure that just wasn't neglected. That, that was neglected or just wasn't thought of at all um, under private ownership previously. And it's the sort of thing that other clubs in the division are doing recently. Wraith are setting something like that up. Air have already done it. Aye, it's this kind of thing that, that we need to see from them. Yeah, I think so. And it's especially, yeah, it would be good to see how the club can maximise match the income. Because obviously for a club our size, match the income is a major, major source of our, our entire commercial income as a club. Um, if we can find a way that's going to keep fans in the vicinity of the stadium for longer and spending more money in the club, then it's absolutely worth exploring. You then look, what can we do with the facility Monday to Friday? Is that something that more than the community can, can benefit from and use? Is it something that the academy can use? Is it something that we can look to improve the internal infrastructure at Capolo in terms of staff offices, potentially a club shop, things like that? It's I still think long term we should be looking at the Smiths agreement. And I think if we can bring more if we can bring more of the commercial stuff in house, then I think that would be a big step in the right direction. And I'm hoping that the club are look the club are exploring the possibility of using that Monday to Friday and potentially on match days for, for something around that. Because I think given that we've got full time staff at the club kind of office hours and then on a match day, let's see if we can get a space that we can turn into a commercial unit and get fans into Capolo and get fans buying merchandise from the club directly rather than having to go through Smiths and obviously giving a piece of the of the income to them. Yep, that'd be I that'd be a definite improvement. Yeah, just I everything that can that can bring income to the club is gonna be a big difference maker ultimately. Yeah, no I think so. I think the potential thing that the only real concern I had from last night was the idea of and I know that the election was set up in such a way that there wasn't necessarily a guarantee that all four all four members that were standing to become MCT directors would be voted in. But aye, I think this is the time where we really need to be widening the resource pool when it comes to volunteers. We need to make sure that everyone who's going onto the MC board is has some sort of skill set and some sort of knowledge that they can contribute positively to obviously MCT and then the club. I don't add the idea of well, four people stand, there's four seats, therefore all four of these people are going to be on the board by default. That's not MCT's fault. But I think as a fan base, we need to be looking as to how ordinary members can contribute more because we do need to have, we need to make sure that we've got high quality candidates running as directors and making sure that the type of people that we're getting on the MCT board and ultimately graduating onto the club board are of the highest possible calibre because that's the only, this, this model's going to work. Yeah, and that's the thing because I get people, and th- that's just what football fans are like, uh, certainly myself included at times, but there's a tendency, I think, amongst football fans in general with any fan organisation like running a club to be very tempted to, at the drop of a hat, knee-jerk reaction, just say, oh, well, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm cancelling my cancel my membership, not paying my fees any, anymore. And I, that sort of knee-jerk type reaction to something going wrong is only going to hurt the club, I think. I, is that what you're saying there about you're making sure people get on board? If there's something you don't like with MCT, there is genuinely nothing stopping you uh, going and standing for the, for the board yourself. Um, I think it's important to just drill that point home that 
I think we, we've all got issues of things that we don't like about the club or about him specifically. We've all got the power to go and change that ourselves yeah. if, we, if we want to. No, that's exactly it. And it is, it's, we need to make sure that there are high quality candidates coming through the MCT board and ultimately going onto the, onto the club board. I think when you look at the kind of age of the MCT representatives on the board, I think it's quite obvious that some of them will be will need to step away in the near future. And when you look at, this is where we need a strong MCT board to make sure that ultimately we are feeding people from the MCT board into the club board that are going to be of a quality that they're going to really drive the club forward. And that's that only comes from people volunteering and people putting themselves forward, which I get isn't an easy thing. Everyone's got good commitments elsewhere and, and things like that. But ultimately, it's it's I think it's the only way that the model can work. Yeah. So, tell you what, we will leave it there. So, Craig, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Dean. Cheers. And we'll be back after the other game. Well, that's the show, folks. Remember to check out themortonforum.com for the latest Morton news, discussion and articles featuring the excellent match photography of GBR photographs. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and we'd love to hear your feedback or questions on any of our social platforms at the Morton Forum. Yeah.